You know, as I was looking at our sixth session, there were lots of things that I was looking at that we haven't talked about. Like, we are scratching the surface here. I mean, the Battle of Armageddon, which we mentioned briefly. Someone mentioned the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Some of the judgments or some of the resurrections that are discussed in the book of Revelation. And I kind of was getting to the end of mapping out our day, realizing we can't talk about it all. What am I going to do on this sixth session? But as I had been studying all these different passages, many that we have Read one of the things that stood out to me that I just couldn't not talk about as a pastor, especially, was all the the sheer amount of imperatives or exhortations to the church that the New Testament was written to in light of the truths of the last days. I was, it was astounding to me how so many passages didn't just give us facts about the future or timelines or charts about what was going to happen in the future, but how every single passage would always make it a point to talk about what should this do in the life of the believer today. And so for this last session, I thought, I recognize we haven't talked about everything, but I felt like it would be almost a disservice to not scratch the surface of the imperatives that are tied to the fact that we are living in the last days. In other words, what, what do we do from here? Like we can have charts and views and the future, but where does that leave us today? And so um, in, in one sense, I think it makes sense to, to connect thinking about the last days and thinking about the book of Revelation with how are we going to live now. I don't know if you've ever had the question asked to you, um, if you had 100 days left to live, what would you do? If you had 10 days, 20 days, what would you do, right? Because when we start thinking about a limited amount of time before us, that impacts how we should live today. And so that's how I want to close our time Um, Let me pray, and then we'll walk through eight qualities, and then we'll wrap it up today. Father, we pray that today would not just be informative, and we pray that it wouldn't uh, just be about doctrines and the future things that are going to happen, but God, that the reality of these things that are going to happen would impact all of us today, that it would impact me today, that it would change how I think and how I talk and how I live in light of the truth that we are living in the last days and that you are coming back and you are coming back soon. And so God, we pray that we would move from just thinking about facts in the future to thinking about what does this mean for us right now? In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. The first quality The scripture, I mean, there are so many passages that speak to this reality in light of the fact that Christ is coming back is the quality of being awake. Hopefully you are awake now. Awake. I mean, I started looking through the concordance to see how many times that being spiritually awake and alert is connected to the last day quickly coming. And there were numerous passages, parables, stories, proverbs, 
But I chose, I want to look just quickly here at Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So if you just look at the passage I have here highlighted in red, four different times we see the, the truth that we have been talking about all day. We are living in the last days. You see in verse 11, the hour has come. Second time in verse 11, for salvation is nearer to us now. Verse 12, again, the night is far gone. And then again, the very next phrase, the day is at hand. Four times. And we have spent, in essence, five hours making this point that Paul makes four times in two verses. We are in the last days. Christ is going to come back. And we don't have a lot of time. The phrase that, or, or the, the reality in our house, we, we joke, when we hear the garage going up in our house, um, that typically means I'm at home with the kids. Ashley is either working or grocery shopping or running errands. And when we hear the garage going up, you know what that means. We do not have long to clean up, but we better get up. And we've got about 15 seconds. And the dishes better be in the dishwasher. We better have everything looking nice. But this is the reality that Paul's discussing. This is what he's saying. Your time is short. He is coming back very soon. And so what follows this reality that we've talked about? Six, six verbs or exhortations, or imperatives, six of them in the rest of the passage, as if to say four times over and over, the Lord is at hand, the night is almost over, the morning is coming, he is coming back. What do we do with that? Paul says here's six verbs that you are to do in light of this very near future, three in the negative, three in the positive. Let us cast off darkness in the positive. Let us not walk in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, or quarreling, or jealousy. Make no provision of the flesh in the negative, in the three positives. I'm sorry, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And all six of these verbs modify. They go point back to that phrase in verse 11. Wake up from your sleep. And this, to me, is a, is a pretty simple point. What's the, what is to describe us today as we leave? And I, I used this phrase a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. It is time for us to wake up and smell the coffee. Time is short. Time is short. And, and the one phrase that I think kind of captures this, this passage that I, I liked, our hope makes us holy. Our hope 
makes us holy. Our faith and our understanding and our belief in everything that we've talked about should motivate us to wake up to how we live today, knowing that we have to answer for the life that we live today. Wake up to our sin. Wake up to the shortness of life. Life is short. We, we don't have infinite amounts of time to do whatever we want. We have limited days. Wake up to our job and our mission and duty. And I like the phrase, and there's lots of phrases that, to, that I could talk about. I mean, it's a powerful passage. Put on the armor of light. Like, that is a, that is a cool way of saying that. Like, put on the light. Walk properly. Walk properly. Put the right things on your feet. We're, we're going to go to California this summer as a family, and it's the biggest trip our family has ever taken. And we plan to do, go to see many national parks, and we're preparing now. We have, we're going to have to hike. We are backpacking and hiking. So the kids, they're asking for hiking shoes, proper walking Jack just signed up for baseball, Gears baseball this spring. Okay, and his, his flip-flops aren't going to work in baseball. He needs baseball cleats, proper footwear. Truman tried to come to church in his sandals the other week. No, not good. It's winter, number one. It's church, number two. Probably flip those. Church, number one. It's winter, number two. Walk properly. Live your life. That's the metaphor of walking in the New Testament. How you carry yourself and live your life. Walk properly as if you really believed Jesus was going to come back as judge, as light, as truth, as redeemer. And, and not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. And, I mean, this, this laundry list of things, what do they all have in common? These are passions of the flesh, of the here and the now. It's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Wake up and walk and live in holiness. Love the appearing of the Lord more than the things of this world. And so as believers who say, we believe in a second coming, and it's coming soon and quick and unexpected, we must therefore then wake up. The other passages, I'm not going to talk about those. Read them, though. There, there's the parable of the ten virgins in Luke 21 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Good passages about waking up and being alert Secondly, standing firm, I'm, I, I put two in this one. I, I fudged a little here. Standing firm and sober-minded. I started looking at the passage in Matthew 24, a passage we've read over and over. There's two qualities here. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately telling, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. I mean, we see this all through these types of passages. Stand firm, though I guess the word I have up there is alert, huh? Stand firm 
See to it that no one is going to lead you astray. We are walking into times of deception. And, and the Antichrist may not be here yet, but we are living in a time of little Antichrists. And the scripture tells us this. We live in a time of deception. See to it that no one leads you astray. But then also, sober-minded, the passage continues, verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. We'll jump down to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Pastor Dan said it in his two sessions ago. The Thessalon Thessalonica church had been told, had been written a letter that someone said to them, you, you have missed it. You have missed out. What is Paul telling them? He's saying, don't be quickly shaken in your mind. Be sober-minded. Don't be shaken in your mind. Level-headed, calm. Things are going to be bad, but we will be sober-minded because in the face of hysteria, we know who is in complete control. And so in this is the opposite of what you would expect, that sober-minded, calm. When we say these are the last days, I mean, that would, should shake you and alarm you. But because of Christ and what we see in his word, we can cling to this truth that, yes, things are not good on the news. You watch too much news, it, it, will, it will rattle you. It does rattle you. But here, what does what Paul tell this church? Don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Things are not good. The end is near. Yet we know how it ends. So sober-minded, standing firm, awake. Number three, patient. Patient, a passage we've read, James 5. It's interesting when you read a passage with a different thought in your mind, things pop out to you that you just, you haven't seen. Be patient. Verse seven, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. You spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard this of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We can be patient. Wait, we can wait. I like the word wait. We can wait patiently for the coming of Christ, which means we, we can handle and suffer and face any and all hardship. Not that it's easy or it's enjoyable or it's fun, but we can eagerly anticipate and wait for the coming of Christ. This is patience. I can face any hardship because I know my Father is coming to get me. 
I can suffer any injustice because I know the judge is standing at the door coming. I don't have to do anything about what I face because one who is going to make all things right is coming. And don't you see how if you really believed in the second coming of Christ and you really believed that the judge is standing at the door, that he is about to come and avenge and to make right, then we would be patient. That is a necessary byproduct of believing Christ is coming back. We just can wait for him. What a blessing it is. What a fruit of believing and thinking through this doctrine. Now we can be completely patient waiting for him. Fourthly, joyful. 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Then you see that last phrase, his glory is revealed. You're, verse 13, I mean, that's a verse to really spend some time thinking over. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's saying your joy today is tied to your joy for tomorrow. The first phrase, you rejoice because you share in Christ's suffering. I mean, we've, I, I know I've preached on this idea before we've preached through 1 Peter. This idea that it, it's a weird idea to say be joyful in your struggles and in your fires and in your trials. That's a weird thing to say. I will be happy that I am facing all these awful things. But what the verse is saying is your joy is rooted in that you are tied to Jesus in your suffering. That just like Jesus, his suffering brought his exaltation. His suffering brought redemption. His suffering brought a transformed body. And when we suffer, we are tied to Jesus in his suffering. And so our Joy is tied in the results of what happens in our suffering. We follow his footsteps. And so our suffering is not, it's not meaningless. But then the second part of this little phrase in 1 Peter 4, our rejoicing is tied to his future glory going that's going to be revealed. I mean, this was a, a deep concept for me, thinking, we can rejoice today because we know that we will be glad tomorrow when he comes for us. A day is coming when God's glory will be revealed. Matthew 25, 31, I think says it in a really beautiful way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now just picture that. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. I mean, God's future revealed glory gives us joy today. That, that's, what, that's what we're being told in 1 Peter. 
We can be joyful though we suffer today because we know one day a glory, a glorious Jesus and all his angels are going to be coming back. So we can be joyful even though we're talking about the end of time and the end days, the last coming. We can have joy because we know a glory is coming. Fifthly, I have two words again. It's, I couldn't figure out which one I liked it better. Gentle and compassionate. So what should be our response in light of this end-time eschatology doctrine that we've talked about today? Well, one of those is we should be gentle and we should be compassionate. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, who has a different translation there for verse 5 in the Bible? I guess you guys are all looking at your sheets. Does anybody have the NIV with them today? I'll just tell you. I can just tell you. I was going to have you just share, but the NIV says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The ESV says reasonableness. They have a little subscript, and then underneath they say gentleness is also a possible way of rendering the Greek word here. I prefer the word gentleness here because it's the same word that's used in the elder qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. So 1 Timothy 3, don't, you don't have to turn that. I don't think it's in your book, but the, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. The opposite of this word in, in 1 Timothy 3 is violent. What's the opposite of violent? Gentle, I think, is a really good word. It's also in Titus 3, 2. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, to be gentle showing perfect courtesy towards all people. I like the translation, be gentle to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I think Paul in Romans 12 gets to this idea as well. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, we are to live in the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is, what is our role in the reality that we are living in the last days? That the, the one who is coming to bring judgment is coming. We're not to do that. Live gently, compassionately care for our enemies, love our enemies, overcome evil with good. That is our call today. We know who wins. And so to the degree that we believe and hope in his, in his very near coming, that he is coming as judge to make things right, all the more so we should be motivated, leaving a day like this of thinking about the truth and the reality. We should leave with full of gentleness and compassion. Why? Because we want people to see the gentleness and the compassion that's theirs in Jesus Christ. 
Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. It doesn't get clearer than that. It is almost, time is almost up. Be gentle and compassionate and caring to everyone. Number six, outspoken. I've read parts of this passage, but we'll read it again. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, I love this, pa- this passage. It's so interesting to me. It's funny to me. I've already talked about, I mean, they're still asking Jesus the same questions they've been asking. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? And what's the response? No, no, that's not what I'm doing. No, you have a new job. Go and be my witnesses. Be outspoken in talking to other people about who I am and what I've done and what I've come to do. But the part that I love the most uh, is verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went. I mean, they're just, they're just looking up into heaven, just wondering, is he going to come back? What's he going to do? They're just thinking about all these end times things. What's going to happen? Where is he? And what does God do? God has to send two angels down. Just to, to pour some cold water on them. I mean, he sends them two men in white robes. And what do the, the angels say? Why are you looking into heaven? Now is not the time to be fixated on heaven. You have a new job. And it's not to figure out the time or the season of he's, that he's going to return. He's going to come. The same way he went, he's going to come right back. Stop gazing into heaven and go and be my witness. That's your job. And it's our job. This is our job today that we don't, we don't spend too much time thinking about the end times, that we forget that we are called to be his witness today. Now, it is profitable to talk about the end times, but it is more profitable It is more profitable to be a witness to the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to our neighbors. This is the call for the church today. Don't don't be stuck gazing into heaven. Don't don't be lost in that. We have been called to be his witness, to testify to our personal experience of what God, that's what a witness is. A witness is someone who saw something and experienced something. It's just telling other people about what they saw. It's the easiest thing to do. We don't have to have, a, a, we don't have, to have a, an equipping class on being a witness. It's, 
what has God done in your life? Now, just tell people about it. We tell people about personal experiences all the time, places we love to eat, things that we've done. Be a witness to what God's done in your life to the people around you. And we should leave today motivated to be outspoken because he is coming back and time is short. Number seven, encouraging. Encouraging. We should leave today and we should be motivated to be encouraging to one another. A really great passage. I don't think we've read this one today. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you, every verse that we've read, there is a connection in the verse with the day is soon with the quality that we're listing. And here it's, it's very clear. All the more we need to be gathering together as the church so that we can be encouraging because the day is drawing near. Now, why? Why do we need to put such a priority to meeting together as the local church and so that we can encourage one another? Why? Well, because we've talked about it all day. The end times are going to be marked with deception, People's love for God growing cold. Go back to 2 Timothy 3. That's why this is what the world is filled with. And if we're not careful, we become like those descriptions in 2 Timothy 3. And so what should we be like in result of having a day of talking about the end times? We should be fully committed to being a part of the local church. What does church do? It warms up your love in worship. It gives you an opportunity to encourage people. I mean, that's what, it's what church should be. That you have people around you who love you enough to call you out, who can encourage you when you're down. That's why we have grow groups and community groups and why we meet on Sundays so that you can be encouraged about the week ahead. And when you stop attending church, quickly you can become discouraged. And so this quality seems to be very clear. It's mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you in an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. So that's another reference to one of these days, it's not going to be called today anymore. We're going to run out of today's that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are living in the last days, and all the more we need to be encouraging one another in the local church. And we can't do that if you're not in church. If you're not connected, if you just come and sit and leave, like that's not the local church. We need a church of people who love one another and families and families all together so that we can encourage each other against the deceitfulness of sin and the hardship of life and the burdens that we have to carry. And then lastly, the best for last, 
we should leave a day like this and we should be prayerful. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 8, the end of all things is at hand. I mean, just think about that phrase. I know we've said this phrase a hundred times today, but if on the news tonight, the newscaster got up and said, this was their, this was their announcement, the end of all things is near. I mean, it'd be pandemonium. If you're watching Wheel of Fortune tonight in the bottom ticker, just, just these words, the end of all things is near. I mean, that would not settle well with you. If the president got on television tonight and made an announcement, the end of all things is at hand, there would be panic and there would be chaos in our world. And here we have it, 1 Peter 4, God is saying it to us. What, what is our response in light of the fact that we have pounded over and over again today? It is not panic and it is not chaos. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We pray. We pray and we think sharply. We have peace we're sober-minded, we know, yes, it is near, but we know who's in control, and we know who is coming, and we know who has every step of the way. And what is our role? Our role is to leave today and to pray. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, that's what we pray, your kingdom come. What are we praying? We pray that the kingdom of God would reign in the hearts of people. So we pray that people would come to know Jesus as king. That's what we pray. The end of all things as hand, we pray that God's kingdom would come, not just literally come, but that it would spiritually come and reign in the hearts of our family members who don't know Christ and our neighbors who don't know Christ, our siblings who don't know Christ, our friends who don't know Christ. We pray that we would be strong and steadfast as the times are hard and difficult. And so that's, that's where we are today. That when we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, our, our hope is that we can leave and that we would be a church awake, awake to how we're living, that we would be sober-minded firmly rooted in the truth that we've been taught, patient, joyful, gentle, and compassionate, outspoken for the gospel and encouraging to the saints, and that we would pray, entrusting all things to him who has it all held together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And I pray that you would help us to be who we're supposed to be in light of the truth that the, the day of the Lord is at hand. Help us, Father. Awake us. Awake us where we need to be awoken, where we have fallen asleep and been lazy, where we're living in darkness. Show us, Father, where in our lives that we need to wake up and see how we're living. God, help us to be firm and to be sober-minded, not to be quickly persuaded, to not be anxious or quickly shaken by the news or whatever else is being announced, but that we know you 
are in complete control. May we be patient as we wait upon you. As we persevere hardship and pain and injustice. May we be patient. We know, Father, you are the judge and you are standing at the door. And we trust that. And we hold on to that. We cling to that. Give us joy in our suffering. Give us gentleness and compassion with our neighbors. Give us courage and boldness to speak out and to be a witness, to testify to who you are and what you've done in our lives. May we be, may we be boldly encouraging as a church, saying the hard things in love when they need to be said, in relationship with the people around us in our church, because that's what we need as the day comes to an end, lest we be hardened by the deception of sin. And then lastly, Father, May we be a people who prays, a people who bows down before you, who trusts you, who, th- who lays everything out before you. God, we pray, Lord, that you would come, and that we would be, while we wait, that we would be the people that you've called us to be while we patiently wait for you. In the name of Jesus, we all pray, amen. Well, thank you all for coming today. We really appreciate the time and your families. We know it was a big investment. Hopefully it was helpful for you. We're gonna send out a survey early next week to get some feedback. If there's other topics you'd be interested in having a time like this be taught on, I'd love to hear. We'd love doing these. This is a really effective way of doing some teaching. And so please fill out the survey. Just let us know how today went, what we could do better with, some other things that we could teach. But thanks for coming, and uh, if you have any questions, we'll be around, but uh, have a wonderful rest of your Saturday afternoon.